Hello and welcome to today's episode of the ABCs, Authors Between the Covers. What makes successful authors tick? What does it take to sell that manuscript? Is self-publishing a good option? Or is selling your book to a big publishing house still the only way to fly? What about keeping up with your first big success? We'll talk about all this and more on today's show, hosted by journalist and publisher Hope Katz Gibbs, author of Truly Amazing Women Who Are Changing the World, and PR Rules, The Playbook. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Authors Between the Covers, a podcast on the Incandescent Radio Network and a video on incandescent.tv. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer and creator of the show and the networks. Thrilled to be here today with an old dear friend, New York Times bestselling author Caroline Levitt a phenom in the book publishing world. So before we uh, jump into our questions first, I wanna welcome you, Miss Caroline. Thank you so much, I'm so, so happy to get to talk to you and see you. We are indeed old friends. You're one of my favorite people on the planet. Thank you so much for this. Well, let's tell people our backstory. So I met Caroline a decade ago when I've been writing for Costco's magazine, The Costco Connection, since my daughter was born in 1996. And when they assigned me to interview Caroline, she had just embarked on this amazing new echelon of her work. Um, She had published Pictures of You, which we'll talk about. And since then, she has just published so much more. It's remarkable. So let's launch in. So tell us first, tell us about your career as an author. What got you started? What have you been doing? (laughs) Well, I always knew that I wanted to be an author and it was not easy. I was always told, no, 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 no. We were talking a little bit for this interview that, you know, my mother really wanted me to be a married lady and you know writing could be a hobby and in high school I was told no you're just not good enough in college I was told by a writing professor who was a famous writer at the time that I didn't have the stuff to make it but I was really determined partly because I just I loved writing it and I just wanted to do it and also I wanted to prove those people wrong so I actually published my first novel when I was 27, I think. Uh, I won this Red Book Young Writers Contest to my surprise. And I was so sure I hadn't won it that when the back then acceptances came, not in email, but in brown envelopes. And when I saw this brown envelope, I thought, that's a rejection. And I ripped it up and I was about to clean it up. And I happened to see part of the letter which said, congratulations. And Then things started happening really fast. I got all of a sudden I had an agent and then they said, oh, well, you know, we want this to be your novel. The story has to be your novel. And I wrote that. And I was from my first novel. I was I was sort of flavor of the month. And I thought, oh, this is fun. It's always going to be this way. And of course, it it isn't. (laughs) My second novel did not do as well. Then my publisher went out of business. I immediately was able to get a new publisher and my editor left before the book came out. I bounced around from publisher to publisher and I I would get like two or three great reviews and no sales. And there was no publicity machine. I didn't know you had to hire a publicist. Nobody told me. And I watched as my other writer friends were getting prizes and prizes and stuff and Nobody, nobody knew me. I had like no sales, nothing, nothing. So it was actually my ninth book, Pictures Review, where I was under contract for it from a big major publisher. And the editor called me up and said, you know, Caroline, we're really sorry, but we're not going to publish the book. 
And I started crying. I said, what? (laughs) Why not? She said, well, none of us here think it's special enough. And of course, I said, well, I can rewrite whatever you want. I'll turn myself inside out to make it special. And there was silence again. And she said, you know, we just don't think you can. So best of luck. Maybe our paths will cry. And, you know, it was that kind of conversation. So I hung up the phone. And by then I knew that, you know, if you've written nine books and nobody knows who you are and you have no sales, you're not exactly attractive to a publisher. <laughs> They're not going to want to take a chance on you. So I, my agent told me, you know, not to worry. And I had a lot of women writer friends who were very successful. And I called them up crying and said, you know, I wish you all the success in the world, but I just want to tell you that my career is over and I can use some comfort. And they were all like really wonderful and supportive. And one of them had just gone to Algonquin and she said, I have a new editor and can I tell her about your book? And I said, you can tell her anything, but nothing's going to happen. So about a week later, I got a call from this editor. And as we were talking, I realized she's pitching me Algonquin. Why, you know, telling me why it would be a good place for me. And I thought, why is she doing that? And I felt like I had to be honest. And I said to her, you know, I don't, I don't sell books. I really don't. And she laughed and said, don't worry about that. You will now. So to my astonishment, they bought that book and they got it in six printings before it came out. The second week it was out, it was Costco Penny's Pick, um, which meant it was in every single Costco across the country. It was a New York Times bestseller and my phone started ringing nonstop. And what was so interesting to me was that even the editor who had rejected the book as not you know, interesting enough, called my agent and said, do you think Caroline would like to come back with us? And my agent said, no. But it was a, it was an extraordinary lesson for me because it made me realize that fame is not really what you think it is. Um, although I was really happy to have, you know, the success and to have people reading me, it didn't change my drive, which was, I want good. Now, all that that fame gave me was enough money so that I don't have to work a job job (laughs) and I can sit at home and write my next book, which is going to have the same problems and the same worries. Uh, It made me realize that careers are often like this. No, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with me next, but it doesn't matter so much because now I know that the whole idea of fame, it's more important how it's based inside me than it is on the outside world. That's amazing and beautiful and so spot on, right? Especially as women, right? It's really complicated to figure out what our worth is and to know that it starts here and it ends here, right? That's right. (laughs) It starts and ends here. And I mean, I will tell you, I, I, I've, I interviewed Elizabeth Strout once and, oh my God, what's her name? Oh, Alice McDermott. And I asked both of them, you know, you're so famous and so respected. Like, what do you think about this stuff? And I was so happy that both of them said, I don't think about it at all. We just think about the work. Every novel is a new thing. And if the work is going well, then I'm happy. And if the work is not going well, then I'm not happy. And they don't even think about their reviews or their sales. And to me, I thought that's a great way of being. That's a much healthier way because so much of success has to do with how much money the publisher is putting behind you or what people are reading now or um, what the zeitgeist is. And it has nothing to do with you. It really doesn't. 
it's so true about so many things, right? In fact, mm-hmm. a friend was telling me that this morning. It's like, there's certain things you can control and you can't take that. Yeah. Right? You can't, you can't. So talk, let's get into some of your books. Let's talk about pictures of you because I had the privilege of interviewing for Penny's Pick for Costco. And that was what started our friendship. And, um, and I want to hear about your latest books and all the books in between in the last 10 years. Okay. So Pictures of You was, um, it was a really important book for me because it came out of, I realized that I don't drive. I've never driven. My big fear is that I was always going to kill somebody if I drove. And I've tried. I have my license. I've tried to drive like a few times and it's been a disaster and I finally decided you know what it's better that I don't but I was still was like haunted and haunted and haunted with that so I decided I wanted to write a a novel about somebody who does just that through no fault of her own she gets in an accident and she ends up killing somebody and she falls in love with the surviving family and as I thought that was really what the book was going to be about and then as I wrote the book um, at that time, I was also grappling with being an asthmatic, which um, I had since I was a little girl, and I was always made fun of for it. And it really traumatized me to have asthma. I never wanted to talk about it. I never wanted to bring it out in the open. And this little boy showed up at the novel, and he had asthma. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I don't want to write about this. So I ditched it, and he kept coming back. And one of my writer friends said, you know, when you're something keeps coming back like that, it probably means you need to write about it. So I wrote about him and two astonishing things happened. And it was amazing. The first thing was, Ed, the more I wrote about this little boy and he's wheezing and he's brutalized because he has asthma, the better I felt myself <laughs> until I didn't have any asthma symptoms. And when the book was finished, my publicist said, well, why don't you write to like the head of the National Asthma Association, because maybe they'll support this book. So I contacted them and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to see it. We want to see it. And I sent it to them. and I got a really weird phone call from the head of the place who said, you know what, we're not going to support this because this, this isn't like what asthma is at all. And I said, I beg your pardon. Like, this is my experience. And we sort of argued about it. And I was kind of devastated by it. So the most amazing thing that happened after that is, you know, my publisher said, we're going to keep it the way it is. After the book was out, I started having really bad breathing problems and I was going to doctor after doctor after doctor. And I finally went to this new respiratory hospital as part of Mount Sinai in New York. And you have to wait for months to get an appointment and they do a whole workup. And I went to see what was wrong with my breathing. And the woman said, have you ever had a medicoline challenge? I said, what is that? She said, well, that's the gold standard for asthma. I'm surprised nobody gave that to you. You sit there for an hour and you breathe in increasing amounts of this fume. And if you have asthma, you will get an asthma attack and they will cure it, of course. So I took this test and it showed no asthma. And I was gobsmacked. And she said, I don't think you have asthma. I don't think you ever had it. I think it's probably like some sort of nervous disorder. And she did a few more tests and they all came up negative. She said, I don't know what doctors you've been seeing. I've been seeing like the best pulmonologist in New York City, like every six months. She said, you don't have asthma. I want you to stop all your medications cold turkey. That was really scary for me because I had 
two different inhalers I took every day. I took a lot of steroids um, to control my asthma. And it took me a couple months and I went cold turkey and I've never, that was like a couple of years ago. And <laughs> it's like, I never had this disease and they just thought I did. So that was really important for me to write that book. And the book actually ended up being more of a love story between this woman who had killed this little asthmatic boy's mother and her relationship to him. That was, you know, their, their bond. And it was a lot about, you know, forgiveness, and love and this kind of stuff. And I was really happy that it did well. And it was the first book that I did with Al Gonquin, which really taught me that you want to be with the right editor and the right publisher. And I've done, I think I'm on my, I'm on my fifth novel now with them and I feel like I never want to leave never want to leave they're so helpful supportive <laughs> that's awesome but wait <laughs> tell me more about this so this little boy showed up tell us about the writing process and what that looks like how these characters evolve throughout a, a work of fiction. well at first I just had the story was that Isabella Isabella the woman who was driving it's a foggy road. She crashes into a car that is somehow parked, turned the other way around. And she kills the woman driving, who is the mother of Sam, the little asthmatic boy. Sam survives and he stumbles out of the car. And in the fog, he sees this woman, like all this long blonde hair and she's dressed in white and he's a little boy and he thinks, oh, it's an angel. And he gets it in his head that she's the one who can get in contact with his mom. Meanwhile, Isabel is found totally not guilty in the accident, but she's devastated. And she thinks, oh my God, I killed someone's mother. And she starts docking them, you know, watching them, making sure they're okay. And as she's trying to make sure they're okay, this little boy is watching her because he thinks, well, she's going to get me to my mom. And they're always at the same park and they form sort of a friendship. And she's a photographer and he wants to be a photographer. And the, Sam's father is not happy about the relationship because this is the woman who killed his wife. But he watches how gentle she is with his son and how his son's asthma seems to be a little bit better and how loving she is. And he sort of falls in love with her, but he cannot contemplate being with her until he finds out what his wife was doing in a car two hours away from home with his son. Like his son doesn't know, but he wants to know. And by the time he finds out what his wife was doing, it's sort of too late for him and Isabel. And, I don't know. I just, it was, it was a really, really hard book to write because I, for a large part of the time, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had a lot of help from Algonquin and that sort of helped me on track. It's an amazing thing when you have someone who believes in you <laughs> for the first time, it's a very different experience writing than when it's just you thinking, oh my God, this publisher is going to put out this book and not do anything. And it's going to be the same thing. Like nothing, nothing will happen. It's it's amazing. That book is magnificent. All of your work is just heartbreaking. Thank you. So heartbreaking and healing and so amazing. You you feel the characters so beautifully. So these characters just show up that you start writing and they start talking to you. Is that how it goes? They do. They do. I usually have a basic idea of, you know, like what 
what what have where is this character going to go? I mean, my next book after that, which um, was also a New York Times bestseller, though it took longer to become that, was about was set in the 1950s, and I knew that I had this woman in there who was way ahead of her time in the 50s. She was divorced, and in the 50s, that was like just didn't do that and she had a child she was a single mother again very very bad and she was the only Jew in a Christian neighborhood which was my situation when I was growing up so I was an outsider and all I knew was that I wanted to explore something that was haunting me which was how do you as an outsider find community and I wasn't sure how Ava was going to do it and I was just writing 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 and then I happened to write the scene where she's she's alone and her son has gone off and she feels like she doesn't have anybody and there's nothing in the house to eat and she makes pie <laughs> and the pie is delicious and she's really surprised and at first she thinks well that's a very 19 you know, nine, that's a 1950 thing to do and women bake and I thought well how could she be ahead of her time? I thought, well, if she starts a business with those pies, women don't do that, especially on their own. And there's all kinds of obstacles because banks won't give you money unless a guy back then, unless a man signs for it. And as soon as I knew that, her character just sort of expanded and grew. And she became alive to me. You know, and she she did talk to me. That's so cool. And as you know, I, I haven't dabbled in fiction. I'm sort of afraid to actually, I think I will get lost in it. Um, but as a nonfiction writer, thing, people talk to me, I can hear people in their voices and I ghostwrite for a lot of my PR clients. So once I have them in my head, then I can, you know, talk. You can talk like them. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, I hear them, right? And their yep, voice yep. just comes through my fingers. Um, so it, it's just so fascinating to hear how different writers work their process. Um, so tell us about, so how many books in total have you written? I should know that. Um, I think the one that I just got the okay on is my 13. <laughs> it seems so strange. And the, the other interesting thing is of all the books I've written, I mean, I don't, I, I never think in terms of like, well, why did this one become a New York Times bestseller? Why didn't this one? And I think all my books were as good as, or as good or as flawed as any of the other, except for my third novel, which I don't, I almost never talk about, but it's probably time for me to talk about it now. It was a novel that I was coerced into writing by a publisher. They said, we want you to do something really commercial and we want you to write about um, a love triangle. And I thought, okay. And they made me write out this outline, which they finessed and I just never, felt it. I never felt the characters were alive as I wrote it. I just was, wasn't really happy with it. And it came out and it had the worst carcass I have ever seen in my life. And it devastated me. And then the Publishers Weekly review came out and it was even worse. So I kind of hid away in my apartment for a couple of months, just sobbing and feeling miserable. And then I drew myself up and said, okay, I'm going to write another book. But the funny thing is, is when I look back at that review, I think, you know what, they were right. That bad, those bad reviews were right. It's, I was, it was synthetic writing. It wasn't anything I cared about. Um, I threw everything into it, including the kitchen sink. I mean, there's a talking chimpanzee in that novel. I don't know how it got there. <laughs> and I look at it as my cautionary tale. 
So I know that never write about anything that's not deeply meaningful to me and never write about anything that does not feel alive to me because it won't be alive to anybody else. And I love that. I love how true <laughs> that is, right? Because that answers one of my questions. What would you like to know now that you knew then or then that you know now? <laughs> so maybe it's that, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's that, that, you know, you your first writing everything up until the book is sold is for you. You have to feel, you have to love your characters. You make it alive. Don't think about the market. Don't think about other writers. Don't think about prizes or sales or any of that stuff. Just think about the character and think about, go as deep as you can inside yourself and make it as personal as you can, because that is when it becomes universal. I mean, that's like my biggest piece of advice, like write for yourself first love it i love it i love it so tell us about your most recent book the one that oh my god <laughs> i have to, my most recent book is tentatively it's been sold it probably won't be out for another year or so i have to like do the revisions it's called days of wonder and it was based on again something that i was thinking about very deeply which was a, a friend of mine kept telling me that i would love this friend of hers who was a much older woman and i said fine. I'm, you know, I'm always interested in meeting interesting women. And I met this woman, talked to her on the phone, really liked her, really smart, interesting woman. I thought, this is great. So after a few months, my friend said, listen, I have to tell you something about this woman. And she said, it's okay for me to tell you. And I said, oh, okay. She said, well, when she was 15, she murdered somebody and she was in prison for five years. And she came out and she totally took on a new identity. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh my God, I, that's a story. And my friend said, yeah, but you cannot write it about our mutual friend. You have to change it because we don't want her hurt. We don't want her exposed. So I said, of course, of course. So I took this and I turned it into this novel, which currently is called Days of Wonder. And it's about two young kids, a boy and a girl. He's from a very prominent family. His dad's a judge and she's the product of a single mother. She grew up in a Hasidic community in Williamsburg and left when she got pregnant. And these two kids just love each other, love each other. The girl's mother is fine with it because she loves to have, she considers him her other son and she wants him at the house for selfish reasons because she likes having family and all this stuff. And the boy's father is really against it because he thinks the kids are too young. What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he starts being brutal to the son. So these two kids are like, they're, you know, he's going to also move too. So these two kids start fantasizing that they're going to drug him. The kid is a botanist and he knows what to do with certain plants they're going to drug him and maybe he'll feel better and he won't make them separate or whatever and then that fantasy turns into a nightmare one night and the father nearly dies and through what happens in the legal system neither kids really remember what happened that night because they were sleeping and there were drugs the girl is sent to prison for five years and the boy is sent free. So then it fast forwards like until they're in their 20s to pick up their life and see. And the girl's whole thing is like she wants to know what really happened that night and why did this boy vanish? Like, and so the book is a lot about you know, forgiveness, getting forgiveness from other people. And do we really need that? Or is it enough if we forgive ourselves? And it's also, you know, the whole question of, well, what, what did happen that night? 
you know, and who paid for that and who didn't. So that's sort of my clumsy elevator pitch. Very good. What's that one called? Days of Wonder right now, but titles are always changed. So I'm sure it'll be something else. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, all right, I, we're, we're coming to the end of our time together, but there's so many more questions to ask you. I think the final question will be, what would you, what advice do you have for aspiring authors that want to follow in your amazing footsteps? First, never give up. Never give up. No, doesn't doesn't necessarily mean no. I've had so many millions of rejections before I published my first novel. And I still get rejections, and so does everybody else. And it doesn't mean it's one person's opinion. Um, when you get a rejection, just look at it. Does it resonate for you? If it does, then work on it. If it doesn't, just toss it aside. Write about what is meaningful for you, if you find what is totally haunting you and you give it your stamp, that's how it becomes universal. You don't reach universal universality by thinking, oh, I'm going to write the next girl on the train. You want to write your book, your unique voice, and just keep persevering. Those are the people who make it. I love it. I love it. So just keep going, right? Keep yep. moving forward. When you're going through hell, keep on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caroline Levitt, we're going to keep coming back and interviewing you when this book comes out so that Thank we can you. get more people to look at it. And, you know, we just ha love having you on Authors Between the Covers. And thank you to uh, Stephanie Ponder at Costco for assigning me this story 10 years ago to write about your books. So this podcast, this podcast is like a, just an honor to have. It you. is. It's wonderful. It's two old friends coming together, which is always just the best that's the best oh which is like one more piece of writing of it spice to people that refers to you and i make friends in your writing community really like it's really important to have you know do they do as much as you can for other people well wait before we go you actually have done that tell us a little bit about what you were you were telling me that, that oh right i forgot i forgot i forgot of course um i'm the co-founder of a mighty blaze which is a book initiative that I founded with the writer Jenna Blum. Um, when the pandemic started, um, I was due to go out on book tour and everything was canceled. Everything was canceled. And I said, well, I'm not going to let that happen. Nothing is canceled. And I took my speech that I had prepared to give to the National Library Association and I videotaped myself giving it complete hand movements. And I sent it to Algonquin and they said, oh, this is great. We're going to send it to the libraries. So I posted on Facebook, writers, nothing is canceled. If you make a video of you talking about your book, shout out an indie bookstore, um, shout out another author, I will put it up on my Facebook page. And I thought, oh, I'll get like 10 responses. I got 200 in the first week. I was totally overwhelmed. And people started calling me, you know, like the Washington Post called me and NPR called me. And that was when Jenna Blum called me and said, do you need help? And I said, yeah, I do. So Jenna is really good in terms of you know, strategizing and getting stuff. The Mighty Blaze now has, we have 33, I believe, working volunteers. We have a zillion video programs for mysteries, for debuts. We have a baking show. Um, we promote book festivals. We're partnered with the Authors Guild. We've been written up everywhere. 
Um, I've had to pull back a little from the blaze because I'm not a, I'm not a corporate person, but Jenna is, and she loves that stuff. So all I do is I pull in the writers. <laughs> I call up the writers and say, I'd love to interview you. Would you like to come? And it's been amazing because I've been able to sweet talk John Irving into coming, Elizabeth Stroud came, um, Jennifer Hay is coming, all these amazing, amazing authors. And I try to do the kind of interviews like you do, where it's just, you know, you're, you're just talking on a real way. It's not like typical questions. It's deeper, more personal questions. So I feel like that's, that's part of my way to give back to other writers. Love it. A mighty blaze. CarolineLemon.com, best-selling author. And we are honoring women authors on an adventure in the November-December issue of Incandescent Women magazine. So you are there, as is your friend Ziggy, which and right. she's amazing, right? So follow Caroline on her website, on Twitter. That's where I check her out. She's always there and she's always funny and pithy and <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much, Hope. My pleasure. So You're awesome. Can't wait to read your next book. And those 13 books are just, you know, a treasure for all of us. So thank you for being on the show, Authors Between the Covers on Incandescent Radio, Incandescent TV. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the show. Honored to know all these truly amazing people. So Caroline, we'll talk to you soon. And thanks to all of our listeners and watchers for being here. That's it for today's episode of the ABCs, Authors Between the Covers, hosted by journalist and publisher Hope Katz Gibbs, author of Truly Amazing Women Who Are Changing the World, and PR Rules, The Playbook. Be sure to check back next week on the Incandescent Radio Network for another interview with a successful author who is happy to share their story. Here's to writing your heart out and keeping your dreams alive. Thanks so much for listening.